Hey, everybody. I'm John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. And from the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network, this is Dirty Money. Investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases ever. You're one of the greatest con men of all time. You're the daddy of them all. But what does it take to be a good con man? I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. Gong. That's that song gets me every time, John. I love that song. Your brother, man. Let's shout out. Shout out. Shout out Rich Bova from Long Island. He is the person who did our theme song. We really keep it in the family here at Dirty Money. We do. We do. Man, you know, so just to let you listeners in, just a, what are we giving? Uh, is it a there is no curtain for them to peek behind. In fact, they can't see anything cuz this is an audio podcast, but we'll give them a a whisper behind the curtain. I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say, John, I love I love watching you flail. I just I'm just I, letting you go. <laughs> We, uh, you know, the economy is not wonderful at this moment that I think a lot of people feel that I certainly feel it. I definitely feel it when I get my credit card bills and the interest rate is like 8,000%. I feel it when I put some gas in my tank. That's the incredible thing is that actually the economy technically is doing well, right? Like if like you get all these reports, economy's up, you know, all this stuff, inflation, no inflation. And yet- all the things that really matter to most people, like gas, uh, credit card interest rates, uh, the price of chicken, food, eggs, right? Like yeah, food. Everything is so much more expensive than it was that it just feels like it's impossible to to survive. And the reason I I, I rebring that up is because, you know, we talk about people who have done uh, bad things for money, or greedy things for money. But sometimes, you know, when you're when you're thinking, you're trying to scrape together some ideas to get a little extra, little extra rev uh, pumping into your bank accounts. Sometimes I stop and think, like, hmm, maybe they weren't so bad after all. No, they were bad. I would never commit a crime. But you know what I'm saying. Well, you know where that comes from. You know, when you see everybody else is cheating, maybe I should cheat. Yeah, when you when you start to feel that pinch a little bit, you're like, hmm. You know, it, it's easy to see how someone can look for a shortcut to get themselves unpinched. Yep. Yeah, I can totally see it. And there are days when I'm, I wish I, I had the, I don't know, intestinal fortitude to even attempt to do what some of these people do, like just the, <laughs> the sheer huevos rancheros to be able to pull off some of these scams. I mean, the one we're going to talk about today, this guy, Clark Rockefeller, I mean, this guy, the sheer chutzpah of this man to go into the most elite society in America, the sort of the Brahmin Bostons and the Boston Brahmins and the New York high society, and somehow convince everybody that he was a member of the most famous family in all of sort of capitalism, American capitalism, is pretty impressive like i i can't even imagine being this guy <laughs> i i'm i have to say i'm very intrigued and not just because my dog's name is clark also <laughs> and and my dog clark would never pull off a financial scam but uh you know i i gotta say i i don't actually know a lot about this and if you told me that there was a real person named clark rockefeller i wouldn't have blinked i would have 
thought there must be a million Rockefellers. So I mean, uh, I went to school with a Roosevelt. I never asked him, you know, are you that Roosevelt? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah. I don't think, I mean, it's such a big family probably, and there's probably so many offshoots of the Rockefellers. Sort of like the Kennedys. Like, I, I've met Kennedys over my life. And they're like, yeah, I'm part of the Kennedy family. You're like, really? Right. But anyway, he just figured out a way that you can use your name to get almost everything and we've and we've had people like this on uh, we've talked about people like this on the show in the past people who who have kind of cashed in on on big big names right cuz cuz it's impression is everything and um pe- if people think you're a big shot sometimes they'll treat you like a big shot even if you don't have anything in your pocket so let me tell you about Croc Rockefeller cuz I actually didn't know too much about him either I remember his name I remembered reading a book called Blood Will Out by a journalist named Walter Kern, who was friends with Clark Rockefeller and was just, you know, couldn't believe it as a journalist uh, whose life it is to kind of separate fact from fiction, could not believe that he was conned by this guy for, you know, the years that he knew him. And I think most people that met him cannot believe that somehow they were taken for a ride by this guy, because these are like some of the smartest people, Mm. seemingly smart. But, you know, he was this kind of preppy um you know guy that wore polo shirts and had these those really thick black dark rim glasses that make you look really rich uh he had one of those perma tans that rich people seem to always have like that it just seems like you almost like you've spent too much time on your yacht right <laughs> he just looked rich uh he looked like a rockefeller and he spoke with this sort of indistinguishable accent that sort of sounded like a half British, half like Greenwich, Connecticut. Right, right, right. Yes, 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 yes. Right, right. He had that kind of accent and was kind of like a very eccentric and didn't wear socks. And he just did rich people things, old money, rich people (laughs) things, not new money, rich people things where he's walking around with, you know, Prada, whatever bags and stuff. That's new money. He was old money, old school. Uh, He had studied it. And, um, but, Around 2008, it all came, kind of came crashing down for him, and we're going to talk about that. He, you couldn't really miss it. There was a certain period of time where his story was just all over the headlines. Dateline did a big story on him. Um, the Boston tabloids called him Crockefeller. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even had a story of his life that was made on Lifetime uh, called Who is Clark Rockefeller? You know if Lifetime makes a story of your life, you've definitely hit, you've definitely hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the the show is called the movie was called who is clark rockefeller and that is a question that we are going to try to understand today i think to this day people are still not entirely sure who clark rockefeller was or is you know one of the geniuses of con artists is that they their lies are so believable that years after their con is discovered people are still trying to untangle the web of deceit, like what was true, what was not true, you know, could it have been a little bit true? And that's how good he was at what he did. I mean, Clark Rockefeller, it turns out, was a lot of things. He was a boat captain. He was an art collector. He was a a finance executive on Wall Street, but he was not a Rockefeller. That is one thing. And he wasn't even American. Uh, all right. I, I, I am intrigued. I do, as you're saying this, I definitely... The the Crockefeller uh, knocked something loose uh, <laughs> loose in my brain. Uh, now I'm starting to remember a little bit. But but why don't you uh, take us take us back 
to little baby Clark Rockefeller. Where, where is he from? What, what's the deal here? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal a little bit. You know, I guess there's a spoiler alert. This guy is not a Rockefeller. His name is not Clark Rockefeller. He's not American. He was actually born in Germany. A guy by the name of Christian Karl Gerhardt. Gerhardt's writer, um, which I probably mangled. <laughs> easy, easy to yeah, say. Yeah, just like most German words, just flows out of the mouth. <laughs> Such a beautiful language. <laughs> yes, continue. Uh, he was born in a small, picturesque town called Bergen, Germany, much like Bergen, uh, New Jersey. And he would go on to adopt many personas, which we are going to talk about. He was at at, at various times. If you met him, he was either Christopher Crow. Christopher Mountbatten, Charles Chip Smith, Christopher Kenneth Gerhardt, Christopher Chinchester, and of course, most famously, Clark Rockefeller. He had he definitely liked the C words. He, he's yeah. very, very into alliteration <laughs> with the C words. But he grew up in Germany. He was a guy infatuated by Hollywood. He was particularly interested in Gilligan's Island, apparently. Loved that show. He oh used my to God. pretend he was Thurston who was like the rich kind of uh, one of the Thurston rich. Howell the third Thurston yes. Howell the third well you haven't got the knack of being idly rich you see you should do like me just snooze and dream dream and snooze the pleasures are unlimited <laughs> that was his favorite character surprise surprise so I guess from a young age he just wanted to be Thurston Howell the third who was if you if for people who have the three people listening who have never seen Gilligan's Island he, yeah he he was the sort of the rich the rich guy but you know he was not born out of money his parents were working class and he wanted immediately uh, when he became a teenager to get away from that working class background so in 1978 when he was 17 years old he met a couple who was backpacking around germany they were americans and he became very intrigued by them and you know became very intrigued by america and so he decided to leave his town in bergen germany and appear one day in connecticut with a tourist visa and these poor backpackers who just thought they were making a friend, you know, on the road were like, you know, suddenly he calls them up. He's like, Hey, I'm in America. Let's hang out. You know, like, <laughs> That's my worst nightmare. That so is, you know, that's a classic. Like you run into someone you don't right. really like, and you're like, yeah, yeah, we should hang out sometime. And then the next day they text you. I- I'm outside your house. Want to go get lunch? So I think it was kind of like that. And they were like, Oh God. <laughs> so they had to deal with this this kind of pretentious German guy, but he eventually, you know, makes his, um, makes his home in America. Uh, he moves to ironically a town called Berlin, Connecticut. Okay. And he puts himself through high school there. So he's very resourceful. Like he's able to even like, you know, without his parents, you know, do a lot of things. And eventually he starts going by this alias, Christopher Kenneth Gerhardt. Mm. And he goes to Wisconsin University, University of Wisconsin, which is an excellent school. How he got into that, how he pulled that off, I have no idea. But while he was in Wisconsin, he persuaded this 22-year-old woman to marry him. He gets his green card, and then he leaves her the day after the wedding. Really great guy. So now wow. he's off. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Left at the altar. <laughs> the day after the, the day after she's like honey i honey yeah <laughs> just <laughs> rolls over in, in her bed oh. and there's an empty an empty pillow awaiting her so he then uh moves to california and he finds himself in this area called san marino and i have been to san marino because it's not that far from where i live 
It's near Pasadena. It is a very, very wealthy kind of suburb of Los Angeles, very waspy. And he does this, and you'll see there's a pattern. He, he likes to move into areas where there's a lot of rich people, and then he sort of figures out where the sort of social hubs are, and then he becomes a, a sort of presence at the social hubs and ingratiates himself to the society that way. So in this case, he adopts a new identity, Chris Mountbatten Chinchester. Chi, no, Chichester. Chris Mountbatten Chichester. And he tells everybody that he's part of the English aristocracy, that he's a baronet who, in, who once inherited a cathedral in England. <laughs> and he joins the church there, which is kind of like the social hub of San Marino at the time. And he just charms the pants off of all these kind of um, soccer moms and middle-aged women who are bored with their boring rich husbands and are just intrigued by this kind of eccentric aristocrat from England that has suddenly come into their little city of San Marino and and people just fall in love with him. He's very, you know, he's very eloquent and he's very charming. And they all be, and they all sort of believe this sort of story that they had made up about him in their heads that he was sort of like the bad aristocrat that kind of like got um that all the other people in his family sort of like the Harry of the of the Tudor family. Yeah. He's sort of like the black sheep and ended up in California and was kind of living his Hollywood dreams because he was studying film at USC. So every, everybody sort of thought he was like a struggle or sort of an aspiring filmmaker. Anyway. Uh, wait, John, one one question yes. that you might not know the answer to. So this is, he's already changed his name twice. Like, do we have any idea why he keeps changing his name? Like, it doesn't seem like he's, is he leaving debts behind or is he, do we know why he keeps changing his name? I think it seems like he changes his name when he's done something wrong in the previous place and then he needs to have a new identity so to clear his uh, clear his name literally. I don't know in this particular case when he went to San Marino, I'm not it could have had something to do with the fact that he left his wife at the altar and she might be looking for him and so oh, right. she, yeah. if he doesn't have a name and identity she can't find Got him. It. Yep. So that could be it. He probably stole money from her because as you'll see he steals money from everybody. So he was just a new person. And every time he adopts a new name, he adopts a whole new persona and a whole new backstory and all this stuff. So he just becomes basically anonymous. He basically becomes a ghost because he is so many different people, but he's really nobody. I feel so bad for that woman, but I can't help but think about her like, you know, going to L.A. on vacation one day and she bumps into him and she's <laughs> like, and he's like, oh, no, madam, I'm... Chris Mountainbottom Chinchester. You must be mistaken. Yeah, you must me. be mistaken. She's like, she totally gaslights her. She's like, yeah. I know who you are. Oh, I this, married this crazy you, woman. Yeah. You fucking asshole. I have never been to Wisconsin in my life. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so and, he leaves yeah. that behind. He's like this, he's this aristocrat in England. He, he becomes friends. There's always this, he always finds marks like this. So he finds this kind of sad, lonely woman named Dee Dee Sohus who's, you know, um, a middle-aged housewife, very unhappy, drinks and smokes a ton, but is very intrigued by him. She lets Clark stay in her guest house in the backyard. I'm not even sure he pays to stay there. It's unclear. But he lives in her guest house, and um, you know, which is a really beautiful property. Uh, now, Dee Dee has a son. His name is John Sohus, and he will play prominently into the story. Uh, he's 27 years old, and he's kind of a short, geeky guy with Coke, Coke bottle glasses, he, huge Dungeons and Dragons 
player. You kind of understand the type. And he's married to this kind of statuesque, redheaded woman named Linda who worked at the fantasy bookstore nearby. And so they're these kind of like nerdy geeks who live with Dee Dee and befriend, at this point, Chris Chinchester, but are kind of have a little bit of divines on the back house because that's kind of where they want to live. Um, and he's there. And Dee Dee loves loves this guy and doesn't really want to give her house to the to the kids, but is sort of talking to him about it, et cetera. So put that in the back of your mind. Um, these guys eventually, John and Linda, just one day up and disappear. They are there one day and they are not there the next. Nobody knows where they are. Dee Dee starts to get letters from London saying they're in London and they're eloped um, or not eloped, or they're vacationing. And uh, it's it's all very, very strange because they, they weren't the kind of people that would just kind of up and disappear without telling anybody about their whereabouts. And eventually, Dee Dee becomes so sad about this that she that she, uh, you know, she really turns to the hard to the bottle and eventually moves out of the house, um, lives in a trailer park and dies completely broke because it's discovered that the $180,000 that she had in her estate has been pilfered uh, after she dies, but we don't know by whom yet. Um, So two people, two people who wanted to live in the house he lived in uh, disappeared as did this uh, rich old lady's $180,000. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder what's going on. So, so it sounds very, very fishy. I know. So, he sticks around Christian Chester for a little while, but then I guess he is able to get Dee Dee to lend him or give him the white Nissan pickup truck that um, John and Linda used to own. And he up and drives across the country to Connecticut, where, guess what? He assumes a completely new identity. This time, he's Christopher Crow of Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> Christopher Crow, who is the brother of Cameron Crow, you know Cameron Crow, probably you know that name. Us, yeah. us journalists know Cameron Crow. Yeah, he wrote Fast, Fast Times, Richmond High, High, High right? Famous. He wrote Almost wow. Famous. He's uh, so he. I, this is kind of crazy because this is like I guess just before the internet when you could say that you were somebody without actually having to prove. You know, like nobody's yeah. gonna check. And there, there is a guy named Christopher Crow who produced this show at the time called Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So he said he was this producer of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and that he was a big time like writer and producer, and, and of course brothers with one of the you know most powerful people in Hollywood at the time. So, so using that as sort of his cachet and his story, he I don't know. This is again I have no idea how he figured this out, but he joins this Indian Harbor Yacht Club in Greenwich. By the way, Greenwich for those who do not know, is like probably one of the wealthiest places in all of America, right, per capita. So it's like the most society of society right outside of Manhattan. He joins this yacht club, becomes crazy, uh, ingratiates himself once again to the sort of inner circle of Greenwich. And by doing that, gets himself a job that he completely doesn't deserve. This is what you and I need to do, Dan. He gets himself a job at SN Phelps and Company, which is one of the East Coast's most esteemed securities firms. And with absolutely no experience in securities, he suddenly got this like, you know, a multi-figure, a dollar a year uh, job um, just because he knew somebody at the yacht club that hooked him up. So you talk wow. about like, that's why people hate the elite, right? Because they're like, they'll just hook you up. <laughs> you don't even have to do anything. <laughs> you just have to know the right people. Now, 
what's interesting about this job is that they find out later that he needs to give a social security number. You know the social security number he actually ended up giving them? It was the social security number of the son of Sam, <laughs> David Berkowitz himself. I have no idea how he got the social security number. <laughs> wow. That's a little bit of a red flag, but of course, nobody checks it. They just see that he has a social security number. That is wild. It's crazy. <laughs> so so eventually, moves to New York City, gets even bigger financial jobs on Wall Street. He, and again, all these jobs come to him through connections that he knows through the, the Yacht Club. He also, at this time, uh, says that he inherited three artworks by like Mark Rothko and, and huge um, painters and has them on his wall. And he uses this, you know, when people come over to his apartment, he uses this as currency to say, you know, look at my incredible art collection. The thing is, these art things are completely forged, but they look real and nobody will, is going to question this guy. So people think, wow, this guy is big time art collector. Like he's got like some like yeah. multi-million. So again, it's all about perception, perception versus reality. Um, uh, so He's he's a he's a big Wall Street player at this time. He's making a six figure salary. He's got an office at the at the Trade Center, an estate in Greenwich, which is actually he lives again in somebody's back house, but he can say he lives in Greenwich. Um, he dines at all the finest restaurants, and um, but eventually people start getting suspicious of him. This is still when he's uh, Christopher Crow. He 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 basically is really bad at his job, and so you know you can only go so far with your charm. You actually have to stop uh, yeah. making. Money. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this isn't, you know, not to put us down, but it's not like a journalism job where <laughs> yeah, you just like, like no shit. Yeah. Still telling stories. It's like, should we buy or sell this stock? Uh, buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So he's he's losing people money. And so people start getting suspicious a little bit of him. And then, you know, people start calling each other like, did you hear that this guy used, you know, David Berkowitz's social security number at the last job he had? And and, and people start kind of, you know, closing in on him a little. And it really comes to a head when the police show up one day from Connecticut and they have questions about this guy, uh, Crow, uh, because the, uh, that lead back to possibly something going on in California, uh, missing persons case. And so suddenly... Uh, out of nowhere, Christopher Crow just disappears again. He just disappears from the face of the earth. Nobody can find him. And he reappears as Clark Rockefeller, which sounds like Superman going into a... Into a yeah, right. In, right? I mean, he's like... And this part I, is amazing to me because he kind of reappears, but he still, I guess, doesn't have interactions because he comes back to New York. So he's still having... I guess he doesn't have any interactions with the people that he had when he was Christopher Crow, but he's now Clark Rockefeller. And um, he moves to the Upper East Side, and he, again, he finds a church to become—this is a thing, a common thing. Find a church or a synagogue to get involved if you want to be a con artist, and then yeah. just make friends with all the rich people in the, in the community. So that's what he does. He goes, he joins this church, St. Thomas Church. This is like the same church that the Astors belong to, et cetera. Makes friends with all these rich people, and one of the—he gets himself this fancy purebred dog, so everybody's like, wow, you know, only rich people have these kinds of dogs, and he and, uh, and right. he, uh, he says he's friends with Henry Kissinger. He wears—he always wears his Yale scarf to—you know, he's like—he just—he uh, knows all the sort of, um, I guess, uh, what is the word for all the— um, he knows all the things that to do that kind of like catch the interest of rich people. What I what I think, you know, from what you've told us so far, 
that is brilliant, you know, in, in a bad way, but brilliant nonetheless, is he attaches himself to famous people, yep. but like Cameron Crowe, like, it's kind of a weird, it's not like saying I'm Tom Cruise's brother. You're right. It's a little off, so nobody's really going to check. Yeah, no one's going to be clamoring to, I mean, exactly. maybe a handful of people would be like, oh, I'd love to meet him, but it's not like people are going to expect like, oh, I'm going to go to Tom Cruise's birthday party now. Like, right. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's someone you recognize, but not someone that you necessarily even know that much about. Like, I don't know anything about Cameron Crowe besides he wrote those movies, Right. Even with a Rockefeller name, he apparently says that he's part of a side of the Rockefeller family that's not like the the well, not the John Rockefeller side, but like a sort of offshoot of the Rockefeller family, like a married, you know, kind of side side family. So that, yes, they have Rockefeller money, but they're not like the Rockefellers. Right. Nobody's going to check that. Right. Right. He tells people that his parents died in a car crash and that he. Uh, you know, that he inherited their money, but he's been estranged from the entire family because there was all sorts of complications. So he's already kind of set this narrative up that he's not even, he's a Rockefeller, but nobody nobody would sort of um, talk to him in that family. So that also kind of makes him a little bit like of a, of a sympathetic character in a lot of people's eyes. Um, and so then he joins, he, get, he becomes involved in the, so what ends up happening is through these kind of rich connections through the church, he meets a woman named Sandra Boss, who is a 27-year-old. She's a financial lawyer. She's extremely successful. She went to Harvard, and she makes about $2 million a year. They meet at the church, and then on their first date, they go to a Clue-themed party where she plays Miss Scarlet, and he plays Professor Plum, and it's just such a rich thing to go to a Clue-themed party. And he tells her that his parents died in a car crash, et cetera. So he tells her this whole thing. She totally believes him. She thinks he's super charming and marries him. So now he's in. He, he got into the society. He married... This woman who's got a lot of money, who's very connected, and basically quickly takes control of her money. She's one of these kind of seemingly sweet, but a little bit naive, very brilliant in one way, but not brilliant in other ways. And he he basically runs her money. So now he actually is rich, um, and he starts getting very, very controlling. He tells her they have to leave New York. They move to New Hampshire, um, and he opens up P.O. boxes. He only gets his mail through P.O. boxes. Um, he tells her they can never go to California or Connecticut because he had, he has bad blood there with his family. So he basically sets up this kind of very restrictive environment around them where he's not going to get caught. Um, and eventually they have a daughter together. Her, uh, her name is, um, Ray. Uh, they moved to Boston. Oh, by the way, the daughter's nickname is Snooks. It's always rich kid. People's always (laughs) named their kids Snooks. She doesn't grow up to be Snooky, right? No, I guess not. <laughs> that's, okay. the, uh, that's another story, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So they stay, but amazingly, even though this marriage is apparently very strange and they get they stay married for 12 years, but in 2006, I guess things sort of start to come to a head. Sandra hires a private investigator to, in, to investigate her husband, Clark Rockefeller, to find out who he really is because she's starting to get very suspicious and realizes that he is not... He is not he is not a Rockefeller. In fact, there is no information on the man. And basically, the the private investigator says he's a ghost. He's he has no I can't find any background on. But I can tell you right now that there's no such person as Clark Rockefeller. So she divorces him. He gets a huge payout. I think he gets eight hundred thousand in alimony. Um, and in exchange for that, she gets custody of of Snooks because that's all that matters to her. So she she moves to London. Um. 
And, you know, she said in her trial uh, later that, you know, when asked, like, how could you have been so conned? You're such a smart person. You went to Harvard. She said, you know, one can be brilliant and amazing in one area of one's life, but really stupid in another. And I think that's really interesting (laughs) that, that, you know, you kind of wonder why so many people get conned by con artists. Yeah, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if somebody plays to your weakness, um, you know, you're just as dumb as anybody else. So he definitely knew how to play to her weakness and so many people around him. So anyway, so she runs off to London. He's devastated because... Believe it or not, he actually does love somebody, and that person that he loves is his daughter, Snooks. Mm, right. So he hatches a plan to get Snooks back. He he assumes a new identity. He becomes Chip Smith, Charles Chip Smith, Ugh. a boat, a yacht captain in Baltimore. Uh, he buys a townhouse. He lives in Baltimore. I guess he do, does know something about boats, and um, he, using that alias. He, uh, during one of his sort of consensual visits with um, with Snooks, uh, when she comes back from London, he kidnaps her. And runs off to Baltimore. Nobody can find him because he's under a new name now. And it becomes a huge multi-state uh, manhunt. So I wow. think he misestimated a little bit. You know, these guys always slip up a little bit. I think he let his love for his daughter override his 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 love for the con welcome back to the show i'm jeff fenster and i believe experience is the most overrated prerequisite for being successful after starting over a dozen companies all in wildly different industries that have generated hundreds of millions of dollars i've learned that while there are many paths to success the formula stays about the same. Join me every Monday as I decode this formula to success with athletes like Drew Brees, entrepreneurs like Dan Fleischman, philanthropists like David Meltzer, marketers like Neil Patel, plus real estate moguls, industry influencers, A-list entertainers, or even the occasional animal whisperer like the real Tarzan. So if you want to hear what all these people have in common, then hit subscribe, get ready to take some life-changing action, and let me be the first to welcome you to The Jeff Fenster Show. His propensity for picking these like really strange professions. Is yeah, like- <laughs> you're right. But again, it's like, you know, people might not be suspicious of a yacht captain as a con artist as opposed to, you know. Yeah. A, uh, and you and, know. and uh, I mean, as opposed to like those securities jobs he was t- doing. Right. You know, what am I going to ask him? Like, how how would I know? Like, what what do I know about yachts? <laughs> to, right. Like, it's just such to a be strange- like, wait a minute. There is. There's a brilliance in the things that he picks to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could run a, you know, you could, if you could have a front, I mean, it would be so obvious, you know, some people who would be bad at this would be so obvious. And he probably, you know, again, he doesn't, he doesn't run or roll around in Teslas and, 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 and gaudy things. He kind of acts like an old money, um, you know, guy. uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from the the disappear the people who disappeared, which I don't know if we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna get to that. Right I'm now. gonna shut up. Keep going. I All right, we're about to get to it. Snooks. So he kidnaps. So Snooks, poor Snooks, is kidnapped. I I don't know, you know, boy. I mean, Snooks must be, you know, in her twenties now. So I hope she's okay. But at that time, must have been very traumatizing for her. The FBI gets a tip. Somebody, you know, because this story becomes national news. Somebody recognizes Chip Smith as Clark Rockefeller and gives a tip to the FBI. The FBI sets up a, a sting operation where they say that uh, one of his uh, 
the marina captain, sort of the manager of the marina calls him and says his boat is taking in water and Chip has to go and save his boat and he runs out and the FBI nab him. And so they get him and he is accused of kidnapping his daughter, but it ends up going getting a lot worse for this guy. Because at that point, you know, it all starts to come out. And at that point, when they're doing their investigation and he's under custody, they find out that he really is. Well, they find out his real name and they find out that he that he really is from from Germany, that he's not a Clark Rockefeller, that he's not a Chip Smith, that he's basically what I mentioned at the top of the show. But the other thing that comes out is police in California have a few questions for this guy. See, here's what happened while he was doing all his stuff in the East Coast. A murder victim was found by accident at Didi Soho's house. Somebody was putting in a pool after she moved in, and they dug up the land, and they found a bunch of bones that had been buried. Uh, it was a male skeleton around 27 years old, and the forensics reports found out that it was John Sanhus, the daughter. I mean, sorry, John Sanhus, the, the son of Didi Soho's, the, the nerdy Dungeons & Dragons guy. They also found blood spots in the living room, that matched his DNA. So suddenly there's a lot of questions about this guy that lived there 10 years earlier, Chinchester, this Baron Et, who disappeared in their car one day. And so they had been looking for him and looking for him. And so now that he was in custody, they put two and two together and realized this is the same guy we've been looking for. They accuse Chris or Rockefeller or whatever the hell his name is at this point of basically hitting uh, John Sohus in the skull three times with some sort of blunt object, and then cutting up his body and putting it in various bags that came from university bookstores. One is from the University of Wisconsin, and one is from USC. It turns out that those are two of the colleges that he actually went to, which is probably not wow. a good idea. And one of the book bags that the body parts were found in was actually from a year, because it was only made one year, this book bag, and was from the year that Chinchester went to USC. So there's a lot of evidence pointing to to Chinchester as being the person that killed John Sanhus. I must say, sadly, they never found Linda Sanhus's wife. They they she was not oh. in so she is still missing. So anyway, they he is eventually um arrested and charged with the murder of John Sanhus. And the amazing thing is they have no real evidence. At least they have no physical evidence. And they also have no motive. You know, I mentioned that he wanted their 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 back house. Uh, yeah. Or he wanted, uh, but I don't, that's kind of hearsay. Nobody really knows why if he were, if he killed John Sanos and why he would have done it. So they have no motive. They have no physical evidence, but they have a lot of circumstantial evidence and all these name changes. They're able to get a conviction. We, the jury in the above entitled action, finding defendant Christian Gerhardt's writer guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. He showed no emotion as the verdict was read, but in the end, the man who was so convincing as Chris Chichester, British baronet, and Clark Rockefeller, heir to American wealth, was unable to make jurors believe he was innocent. Sometimes you're afraid that... And as Vanity Fair said in their headline, Crockefeller has a new identity, incarcerated felon. That is his <laughs> That is his latest identity. Now, I've heard interviews with him, and he never admits to killing John Sohus. Um, he still wow. probably never admits to it, but he has been convicted, in, and you know, a jury said he did. 
The sad thing is they've still, he's never also never admitted to touching or hurting Linda Sohas. Mm. And they still have not found her. And one would presume that she may not be with us anymore. And it's sad that the family never got any closure on her yeah. life. Wow, that's that's wild. You know, as we were as you were telling this this crazy story, I was thinking to myself, you know, this guy is obviously like a jerk and you know, he's changing his names and he's fooling people, but it didn't, you know, seem to be on the level of the type of person that we normally talk about where is he really hurting anyone that badly? And then it's right. like, and then all of a sudden yes. it's like, oh, actually, yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty he's, bad. He's a murderer. Um, I know. So, I, they always, uh, guys always, yeah, they, don't, they never cease to amaze. I mean, it's interesting that there was no other murders in his background, at least that we know of. Because um, right. I always feel like when you hear about murderers, they always, you know, they don't do it just once, you know? Yeah. And I would love to have known the real motive of why he felt that he needed to, to kill John Sohus. Maybe John Sohus figured out who he was or figured out that he wasn't Clark Rock. Yeah. Something, I mean, there's that, some that reason. That definitely right? seems like a pretty extreme reaction to right. like, no, I want to stay in this, in the guest house. Yeah. Or I want to steal your, I want to inherit your mother's $180,000 or whatever. Yeah. Arranged. Which, you know, is not nothing, but you know, right. it's not. Not millions. I mean, if it was a couple million, then I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, go kill the guy. But yeah. in this case. Yeah. So the whole thing is still kind of, again, like I was saying, like, it's not entirely a satisfying story because he never will admit any of this stuff. And even though he's convicted and thankfully in jail, you know, it may be in his mind, he still thinks he's Clark Rockefeller and innocent. I mean, we can never get inside the mind yeah, of somebody this I, evil. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, does this guy have like an actual like multiple personality right. deal? Uh, you know, he doesn't sound like the most stable person on earth. Uh, and as you said, I mean, I hope his, I hope his daughter has, has, has done okay. Uh, I mean, to get kidnapped and then find out your dad was a murderer. My God. I know. It's, I can't even imagine that these daughters of these, um, of these con artists and serial killers and stuff, it's just incredible, incredible having to like bear that burden. I mean, at least you have a really good college essay, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) I only think of that because my son is writing college essays now and, and my whole life is thinking about college essays. And he's like, damn it, dad, you gave me such a comfortable, nice life. Now <laughs> right. I have nothing to Can't write Can't you about. have been a serial killer or a con artist? <laughs> I know. I know. That's You always have to think there's always a bright side at some of these. Yeah, things. yeah, exactly. So that oh is the story God. of Clark, Rock, Clark Rockefeller. Um, wow. Kind of a kind of a dark story. Uh, yeah. Not a happy ending, particularly. I guess none of these have happy ending. No, no real justice for anybody. Uh, guy was just kind of a jerk. And um, I think this, if you ever want to read a book on, on Clark and sort of what he was like, this book, I, I, I read it over the weekend. It's called When um, Blood Will Out. It's by Walter Kern, who is a big um, reporter for Time Magazine, et cetera. It's so interesting because he, he just, you know, is, you can't believe that he was conned by this guy. And, and to the point where he told them the most outlandish things. And for some reason, he just believed everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, these guys are good at what they do. They, they're good wow. at what they do. So, Dan, where does this rate on the Madoff scale? Oh, geez. All right. So uh, to, to <laughs> got... recap, right. uh, we have 10, 10 Bernies for for uh, for the worst, right? Yeah, 10's the worst. One Bernie is like, 
yeah, you screwed up, but you learned from your lesson. Um, oh boy. Uh, well, there is there is murder here. So um, yeah, that always that puts you pretty high up on the scale. Decidedly ticks things up. I mean, I don't want to uh, devalue anyone's life, but right. uh, I'll say because the body count isn't super high, I'll give them a I'll give them a nine point two five. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think uh, it's it's kind of sad when there's murder to not be like he's a ten. Uh, of course he's a ten, but yeah, I guess on the scale of other people that we've talked to, he is he's in the nine area for me too. Uh, and I'm glad he's off the streets. Um, I'm glad he's not out there piloting yachts. Yes, um. exactly. Maybe him and Anna Delvey can get together. Uh, yeah, they seem like a really good couple. That would be such an interesting couple. Wow, I think you just just stumbled on like the greatest reality TV <laughs> the greatest show, greatest reality ever show ever. Uh, the the, ba- the Bachelorette, where it's Anna Delvey and like ten felons, and they all like <laughs> right. They all who for- can trick? Yeah, who can trick? each other oh, that would be fascinating all right we have our new uh, we have our new our new pilot there's our there's our deal go you live in you live in california go tell i'm gonna Hollywood. go tell it and this is dan this is our way that we're gonna be able to afford gas and and yes. chicken money now we, we figured exactly it out. all right everybody well it has been a pleasure sharing this story with with you uh if you have any suggestions for um con artists and scam fraudsters and even murderers that you would like to hear more about please hit us up uh we can where's the best place to hit us up uh, i'm gonna say the comments john because it's pretty uh you know it's pretty awesome when when people rate uh yes you rate our show we love it and you know those written words you might think it's just a little sentence but it it warms our hearts it's it's, it's it warms our hearts uh, and, and, it, and it gets helps not being other people. uh not being facetious it's it's actually very cool we we love uh hearing from you so if you uh have a thought you want to share with us about a past show or something you'd like to see please 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 leave it in the comments yeah the comments meaning the uh, the reviews of the show um we would love it and we really do take it to heart and and do read those so thank you so much for listening and uh, Dan, until next time, keep it yes. safe. Hold on to your wallets. And uh, who knows what next week has in store. Dirty Money is a production of the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and John Small with music by Rich Bova. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening.